Welcome to Palmdale United Methodist Church's podcast for Sunday, May 22nd, 2022. May God use this as a blessing for you today. Let us pray. Oh God, may the words of my mouth and the meditation of all of our hearts be acceptable in your sight, you who are our rock and our redeemer. Amen. Well, it was the headline that caught my attention Christian couple maintains abstinence through first two years of marriage. Topeka, Kansas, John and Darla Crocker, who dutifully abstained from sex during their 14-month courtship, have remained abstinent after marriage and plan to do so indefinitely. If it were holy before, it must be doubly holy afterwards, says Darla. They have now completed 25 months of marriage without any sexual contact, going about their normal lives, jobs, and social calendar with no hint of relational strain. Sometimes after dinner, they will kiss in the kitchen and, quote, start having bedroom thoughts, Darla says, but they never fail to pull back. Darla breaks away to spray a cool, misted water on her face. John eats a whole raw potato to take himself out of the mood. They don't know when they'll finally break the pledge as they feel no pressure. Uh, After abstaining so long before marriage, quote, a few extra years is nothing, says Darla. Of course, we don't lord it over any couple who uh, decide to have sex after marriage, but for us, it's about staying faithful to the abstinence message and the holiness involved with that, said John, who seems to be unbothered. For us, true love waits and waits and waits. Uh, If you're feeling uncomfortable right now, um, I saw this a few Uh, years ago on Facebook. I had no idea that larknews.com was a parody site like The Onion. Um, And this is a crazy article, right? But in some ways, that's kind of how sex is perceived to be in Christian circles, right? When it comes to sex, just say no. Don't do it ever. Uh, And yet the Bible actually has a lot to say about human sexuality. So Welcome to the fourth week in our May sermon series on love, sex, and relationships. Um, It's true that we don't talk much about sex in the church, but that doesn't mean it's not important. Song of Solomon is a book in the Bible that the whole uh, book is is devoted to sexual love between two people. Um, It's actually an erotic love poem. Who knew that was in the Bible, right? And when you read it, you'll notice sometimes the perspective is from a man's perspective and sometimes from his sweetheart, the woman's perspective. Um, But it's anything other than shy when it comes to discussing the gift of human sexuality. So most of us tend to giggle, blush, get a little embarrassed when the topic of sex is mentioned. Maybe we send our young children out of the room. Who knows? Uh, But especially in church when you start talking about it, right? And my hope is that while today won't be anything new, you may come to gain a new perspective on the issue of our sexuality. And so rather than being embarrassed or uncomfortable, we're reminded that sex was created by God as a good gift for humankind. Now, unfortunately, we humans tend to get uh, obsessed and fixated on sex in ways that become uh, unhealthy or inappropriate. So hopefully uh, today we'll kind of figure out how to put all that in the proper perspective. I'd like to begin by today's message by staying in the Song of Solomon that Darla read for us just a few moments ago. Sometimes it's referred to as the Song of Songs. Um, Rob Bell has a wonderful episode in his video series, Numa, uh, the episode entitled Flame. And in it, he teaches that there are three different Hebrew words for the one English word of love 
that we find in the Song of Solomon. I found it to be very, very helpful, and I thought I would share it with you. So the first Hebrew word is rayah. This is uh, literally translated as friend or companion. This is someone that you just love spending time with. You're so happy to be with them. Um, we might even say this is our soulmate, although it's interesting, soulmate is not a phrase that's ever used in the Bible. Song of Solomon 4.7 says, you're beautiful from head to toe, my dear Raya, my dear love, beautiful beyond compare, absolutely flawless. So at the core of some loving relationships then is this deep friendship. And hopefully most, if not all, of our marriages have this as a strong component as well. The second Hebrew word for love in the Song of Solomon is ahava. Ahava is a sense of deep affection. This is when your heart and your mind are bent towards your lover with passion and intensity. By the way, this is a more profound uh, experience than the romantic feelings we talked about a few weeks ago in that in love experience. Song of Solomon um, 8.7 says, Many waters cannot quench love, ahava. Rivers cannot wash it away. If one were to give all the wealth of his house for love, ahava, it would be utterly scorned. So ahava is that love that leads to commitment. It's making that decision to join your life to the life of another. It's the till death do us part component of love that many relationships discover. The third word for love, the Hebrew word for love in the Song of Solomon is dod, and dod uh, translated literally into English means to carouse, to rock, or to fondle. And this is the physical, sexual, erotic element to a relationship. Uh, Song of Solomon 1 2 says, May he kiss me with the kisses of his mouth, for your love, your dode, is better than wine. So this is the exciting, passionate, compelling feelings of love that we have for someone when we share intimacy with them. So according to the Song of Solomon, there are three flames of love, if you will. Raya, Ahava, and Dod. But here's the key, is that God created us to have all three flames burning together. One flame burning by itself will never be as hot as all flames burning together. A relationship that expresses itself only physically through sex without deep friendship and commitment, well, then it's, it's missing something, something big. And likewise, a relationship that has commitment but it's lost the, the friendship and the sexual passion well, that also is missing something, something big. We are created by God to have friendship, commitment, and physical passion bound together in love. And so whenever we uh, do not have all those three flames together, it never really satisfies like it could. True love involves giving all of ourselves completely to each other, body, soul, and spirit. So but this is our foundation. We're going to spend a little time working in the dode area of love, the physical sexuality. And I want to go back to a couple of books we mentioned in uh, week one of this series, For Men Only and For Women Only. They're written both by Shanti and Jeff Feldhahn. And I won't rehash some of the important insights that these books raised about uh, the differences between men and women, but I do want to focus on how they talked about the issue of sexuality. Now, it's important for us to remember that men and women are wired differently, so to speak, when it comes to the area of sex and intimacy. It's no great secret that in their surveys that they completed for the book, 75% of husbands surveyed said that they wanted sex more often than their wives did, but that's not the end of the story. One of the main points that the authors made 
was that women do tend to have a lower sex drive than men, but they would change that if they could. Experts have discovered, uh, this may sound like a no-brainer, but that women have, the average woman has less testosterone uh, and other sexually assertive hormones than the average man. So therefore, women on a whole have less of an urge to pursue sex. But they do have more estrogen, which is linked to receptive sexual desire, meaning that women tend to be available. They simply don't have as much craving as men do to pursue it. Second, women need more warm-up or anticipation time than men when it comes to sexual intimacy. So for guys, our motor is pretty much always running in this area. That's not always the case for women. Women need that build-up time or warm-up time. They need to have time for their brain to catch up with the moment. Uh, so patience and the pursuit of romance goes a long way. The third insight that I wanted to share from their discoveries is that sex starts in different places for men and women. So this picture might help explain things. The top is men, the bottom is women. We basically have one switch off and on, and it's a little bit more complicated uh, for women. The, the Feldhans remind us that men are quite visual, and so sexual desire often starts with our eyes. Uh, that alone can be what flips the switch and gets things going for us. Um, sexual desire for women, on the other hand, does not always start with the eyes. In fact, it often starts with the heart. And it's her emotions, not her physiology, which registers desire. If she feels loved and admired and appreciated, then she often has a desire to be physically intimate with her partner. But without that emotional closeness, she may have very little physical desire. So that's why the Hallmark Channel is so popular. They do a great job of warming up the heart and the emotions together. I want to spend the last part of our time together this morning with a little more from pastor and author Rob Bell. Um, he wrote a book a few years back called Sex, God, Exploring the Endless Connections Between Sexuality and Spirituality. And from the perspective of the scriptures, a man and a woman coming together is actually a picture of God and God's people coming together. So this God of Exodus, the God who travels with the, the Israelites um, in the wilderness with a pillar of cloud and a pillar of fire... Symbolically, in order to represent that, the Jews for thousands of years have taken a prayer shawl known as a tallit, and uh, in the book of Numbers com uh, commands uh, people to, to wear. In fact, Numbers 15.38 says, speak to the Israelites, these, God's talking to Moses, and tell them to make fringes on the corners of their garments throughout their generations and put a blue cord on the fringe at each corner. So... The, what's powerful about this symbolism is what happens with this prayer shawl at a wedding. The Hebrew people would fasten the corners of the prayer shawl to four poles, and wedding attendants would uh, hold the four poles so that the couple could exchange their vows under the canopy of that prayer shawl. And when it's put into a canopy, the prayer shawl is known as a chuppah. Just as God hovered over the people of Israel while they were journeying through the wilderness, so too does God hover over a marriage, protecting the couple, journeying with them, and blessing their union. Now, in the ancient world, uh, after the vows had been exchanged, the couple still wasn't officially married. There was one important act uh, that made them married, and that was their physical union. So the wedding party would lead the couple to the bridal chamber, they would attach the chuppah above the bed, 
and then they would take their leave. And the couple would consummate their relationship with all of the guests waiting for them outside their house. This was an important part of the wedding ceremony. So when the woman says in the Song of Songs, the king has brought me into his chambers, this is wedding language that they're talking about. This is intimate. It's erotic. It anticipates the act of truly making love. And then the couple would come out and the celebration would begin. In biblical times, it was only after the couple had had sex together that they were officially considered to be married. You see, central to the celebration of marriage is the understanding and celebration that we as human beings, we are sexual people. And central to any union, uh, any marriage union is the sexual relationship. And so everybody at the, at, the, at the celebration knows they just had sex because they were waiting outside for them to finish so that they can start the week-long party. And their understanding is that sex is not an optional thing for marriage. It's not something that couples can take or leave. No, it's central to what it means to be committed and married to one another. No consummation, no marriage. This understanding of sex as marriage is found throughout the Bible because uh, it was thought of this way uh, in the ancient Near Eastern world. Exodus twenty-two sixteen. When a man seduces a virgin who is not engaged to be married and lies with her, he shall give the bride price for her and make her his wife. Deuteronomy 22, 28 to 29, if a man meets a virgin who is not engaged and seizes her and lies with her and they're caught in the act, the man who lay with her shall give 50 shekels of silver to the young woman's father and she shall become his wife. Because he violated her, she shall not be, he shall not be permitted to divorce her as long as he lives." Now, granted, we have a different understanding of women today. We no longer uh, consider women to be property to be passed from one man, a father, to another, the son-in-law. But if you look behind it, you'll see something deeper. Because in the ancient Near East, women had basically no rights. A man could do practically anything he wanted to a woman and would be free of the consequences of his actions. A woman, for example, who was raped would be considered violated and unclean, and she would often be uh, considered unworthy to be anyone's wife ever. But here's how the Bible changes things. The passage essentially, essentially says to the man, you want to have sex with her? Great. Take her as your wife, right? Take care of her. Provide for her needs. Fulfill your duties to her as uh, a husband. She is your equal, and you will treat her as such. When we get into the New Testament, things have progressed so far that men are commanded to lay down their lives for their, for their wives. Uh, Ephesians 5.25, husbands, love your wives just as Christ loved the church and gave himself up for her. So Jesus' love uh, led him to sacrifice his own body for each one of us. And so we husbands are called to lay down our lives for our spouses. So in the ancient world, there was this understanding Sex was marriage. It was simple as that. If you had sex, congratulations, you're now married. All that was left was to work out the legal and the financial consequences of what this man and this woman had already done. So in the eyes of society, it was this physical union that made them man and wife. And so at the wedding, the party didn't start until the couple had shared in this intimacy together. It's not considered to be a lower view of sex, but rather a higher view of marriage. It's this people living into the reality of the decisions that they had already made. Friends, we were created by God as sexual beings. Sex was given to us from God in the very beginning as a good gift. Genesis 
2 reminds us, therefore, a man leaves his father and his mother and clings to his wife, and they become one flesh. It's one expression of love and intimacy between a couple who have given themselves to each other for all of eternity. That's the flame of dode, right? That physical, erotic, sexual expression of love. But that's just one of the three flames of love, according to the book of Song of Solomon. There is raya, that friendship, being soulmates, and then ahava, that lifelong commitment. Thanks be to God for the opportunity to truly love one another through friendship, commitment, and physical love. May we honor the way that God has created us. May we realize that these three flames are meant to burn together, and may we discover the incredible connection between uh, sexual intimacy and our spirituality. It is indeed a good thing that we have been created by God as sexual beings. Amen.